Okay, we're going to begin. Okay. All right, God bless. Well, let's open up with prayer. Just bow your heads with me if you are able to do so. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and we give you praise, glory, and honor. We thank you, Lord, that you have said in your word in 2 Timothy 2.15 to study, to show ourselves approved, workmen and women that needed not to be ashamed, rightfully dividing the word of truth. And we thank you, Lord, for the truth and knowing the truth. For you said, Lord Jesus, that knowing truth will make us free. And so we thank you for freedom today and liberating us and freeing us from every temptation, test, and trial, for delivering us and giving us your truth that we can walk in it each and every day. Now we ask, O oh God, your blessings upon this study and all those who will partake and listen and hear in. Help us to understand and apply your word to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Amen. All righty. We've been talking about right believing. And uh, so today's lesson, we would like to talk about the evidences of salvation, the evidences of being a child of God. And that's very, very important that we understand what it really means to be a Christian. Uh, because today there are many people who are confused. You know, when they look around, they wonder who really is living the Christian life and who really is born again. So I would like to ask one question. Why would God let you or me or anyone into his heaven? Why would God allow or let anyone, you or me or anyone, into his heaven? That's a good question. And there is only one exception for this question and can be found in St. John chapter 3, verse 3. And these are the words of Jesus himself. Except a man is born again, he shall not see or enter into the kingdom of heaven. Mm. That is the only exception. And that's very, very important because as believers, we should know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when we die, that we will spend eternity with the Lord forever. There are many people who believe that they are saved, but they are not saved. On the other side of the coin, there are many people who are truly saved, but they struggle with the assurance of their salvation. Our deeds are not the basis of our salvation. Sure. They are only the evidences or the demonstration of our salvation. And so the Bible teaches us that the assurance of salvation only comes through the perfect work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And we can be confident of our salvation if we put our trust in Jesus Christ alone. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, these are the words of the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinthians, and this is what he says. Examine yourselves. 
whether you be in the faith, prove and test yourselves. Know ye not how that Jesus is in you, except you be reprobates? That means to be a castaway, to be worthy of condemnation, to be rejected. That's what a reprobate is. And so the Bible teaches us that we must examine ourselves and to make sure that we know that we know without and beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are truly born again. I would like to um, call your attention to the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. The Lord's Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 7, and we'll begin reading at the 21st verse. It's extremely important for us to examine our lives and pay close attention because salvation is a serious matter. It's about life or death, heaven or hell, where we will spend eternity. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, the Lord is speaking. And Jesus says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And so the only way for us to obtain heaven, or to make heaven our final resting place, is for us to do the will of God. And the will of God is that every man, boy, or girl be born again and filled with his spirit. Verse 22. And many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils? And in thy name done many wondrous works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. And so the Lord is saying to these who profess to be Christians because they were doing many good works that Jesus said that he didn't even know who they were. They had no relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. They were just mere professors, but they didn't really, they really weren't born again. And this is kind of scary when you look at it because you can say, well, how could a person prophesy? And how can a person do all these wonderful works and even cast out demons and not be a born-again Christian? Well, the Bible tells us in Romans that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. They're irrevocable. So there are a lot of people who are professing to be genuine, truly Christians, but they're just going through the motions and doing a lot of good works. But the Bible teaches us that all of our good works will never, ever cause us to be able to have eternal life and spend eternity in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ and all the saints. Any questions up to this point? There are some religions where you have you do good works and you get rewarded. Um, 
in some fashion. That's true. I don't know who. And that's a good point that you made, Ron, because all of the major world religions, whether they are Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism, Shintoism, Islam, and the list goes on and on. Jehovah Witnesses, the Mormons, all of these religions and all of these cults are all based and predicated on doing good works to obtain heaven. It's all about doing good works. And Christianity is totally different from all of the world religions because we're saved by grace through faith, not by our works and not of ourselves, but salvation is a gift of God, not based or predicated on good works. So we thank God for good works. There's nothing wrong with good works, but our good works should always follow our salvation not just come before salvation making us think that because we do all these wonderful works that god will in some way have mercy on us and give us (laughs) eternal life so christianity true christianity is not based or predicated on doing good works it's based Mm -hmm. on the grace of god and faith through grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see the evidences of of salvation are all over the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. Let's look at another scripture. Let's look at 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. Chapter 5. And this is the hope of salvation. This is the record that God has given to us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son have life, And he that have not the Son have not life. So there is no life or eternal life outside of a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So we saw that a person can profess Christianity, but not really be saved. Let's look at chapter 3 of 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. And here, the Apostle Paul, writing to believers, gives us evidences of a true believer. That's 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to begin reading at the first verse. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons or the children of God, Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Verse 2, beloved, we are, now we are the sons of God, 
and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. We shall see him, that's Jesus Christ, as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. So the Bible teaches us that when we become born again, that we are washed with the word and regenerated and sanctified and washed by God's word. And that word is a cleaning agent along with the Holy Spirit who cleans us and sanctifies us and makes us holy. And so we were prior to salvation sinners. But once we become born again, we become saints. So we're not just sinners who fell down and became saints or saints that fell down and became sinners. We're either a saint or we're either a sinner. We cannot be both. I know there's a song out there that talks about that. A saint is just a sinner who fell down. Either you're a sinner or you're a saint. You can't be both. Verse 4, whosoever committed sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So the Bible gives us here the definition of sin. The definition of sin is a transgression of God's law, the breaking of God's law. And you know that he was manifested, Jesus Christ, to take away our sins. That was the whole purpose of God sending Jesus, his son, into the world. That our sins might be forgiven. That he may go to the cross and pay for our sins. That's the reason why Jesus came. Why he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. For Jesus was perfect without sin. Whosoever abideth in him, Jesus, sinneth not. And whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither knoweth him. So John is saying that if you are abiding in Christ, in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not sinning. And that's interesting because if you're looking at the word sinning there in verse 6 of 1 John chapter 3, whenever you see the E-T-H at the end of the word, it speaks of continuing or continuum, continuing. So a Christian that is abiding in Christ would not continue to sin. And we'll talk more about that as we read the text. Whosoever sinneth, that word sinneth means continueth, habitually, Mm. practicing sin. Whoever sinneth, continuously, hath not seen God. So Christians who call themselves Christians, but they got the can habits, Mm -hmm. and they're making a lot of excuses justifying the wrongdoings that they're doing 
and they say, I can't stop it, then I would say to that particular individual, you really need to examine yourself to see if you're really truly born again. Because a born again Christian does not practice sin. Sin. We'll talk more about that or continue to sin. Hmm. Verse 7. Little children, let no man deceive you. There are many people who are deceived. Sitting up in churches, singing in the choir, working on the usher board. They think doing all those good works, attending church, paying tithes, that some way that's going to guarantee them when they die that they go to heaven. And mm -hmm. that's sad to be deceived like that. And we're not picking or blaming anyone, but it's the responsibility of teachers and pastors and leaders to teach their congregations the truth, to let them know that we appreciate all the good deeds and all the good works, but all of that that you're doing is not going to merit heaven. You must and, and, be born again. Yes, Dorothy. Yeah, I was just going to say that they don't really preach that. They don't let you know that. You know. And that's sad. And that's sad. And that's sad. And so people need to hear this message because this is the most important message than any message in the Bible. To make mm -hmm. sure that you know that you know that you're truly born again and that heaven will be your final resting place, that heaven will be your home. Verse 7, hmm. little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteous or practices righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. So a Christian, a true believer, practices righteousness as a lifestyle. They don't just put on the Christian hat on Sunday morning and cut up, get up early in the morning and cut on the gospel music on Sunday, you know, and go through all the motions and attend church. And then come Monday, they're back in the world, doing the things of the world, living like a sinner. And then next Sunday comes along, they cut on the gospel music on Sunday morning, they go to church. See, that's hypocrisy. Mm. That's playing games with God. A true believer is someone whose lifestyle practices righteousness, doing good to others, doing good, serving God, doing what's right. Verse 8, he that committed sin is of the devil. The word committeth in the Greek means he that practices continual sinning is of the devil. So the Bible speaks in John chapter 8. I'm not going to turn there, but you can look at that later. Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees, and he says, You do the deeds of your father, the devil, who sinned from the beginning. So Jesus lets us know that the devil has children, and God the Father has children. That there are two families, and you can either be in one family or the other. The family of God or the family of the devil. But you can't be in both families. You can't have two fathers, one or the other. So either Satan is your father or God is your father. Now, nobody wants to admit 
and accept the fact that the devil is their father. The Pharisees were ready to stone Jesus behind that statement. But the truth of the matter is, either you're a child of God or a child of Satan. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be associated in any way with being a child of the devil. I don't want to be a Judas. I don't want to be a Cain or any of those other individuals in the Bible who were children of the devil. So look at your neighbor and say, neighbor or whoever, say to somebody, I am a child of God. God is my father. That's what I want to confess. And I want to live that in a reality. For this purpose, verse 8, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil or destroy the works of the devil. And what are the works of the devil? John 10.10 10 tells us, But the thief of <laughs> Satan cometh not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's the works of the devil. But Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. So now the devil is defeated. He's under our feet. Jesus defeated him on the cross. He has no power over us. Sin has no power over us. Temptation has no power over us. Death has no power over us. They've Amen. all been defeated at the cross by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9. Whosoever is born of God does not commit, that word commit in the Greek is prako, it means to practice sin. So whoever is born again does not make a lifestyle and a practicing of sin. For his seed, the seed of God, the Amen. incorruptible seed of God, lives in us, it remains in us. And we're born again by the incorruptible seed of God, the Word of God. And his seed remaineth in him. David says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The word, the seed of God, remaineth in him, and he cannot sin he cannot practice sin because he is born of God. In this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. So John is teaching us that there are two families, the family of God and the family of the devil. And we all as humans have a choice to decide which family that we are going to belong to. Amen, somebody. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Whosoever doeth righteousness, whoso doeth not righteousness, is not of God. Whosoever does not practice righteousness as a lifestyle is not of God. I don't care how well they can preach, how well they can prophesy, how well they can shout in the church or work in the church. If they're not practicing righteousness, if they're not loving everybody, if they're not walking in joy and peace, 
If they're not pleasing God through their lifestyle, then they're living a life of hypocrisy. Mm. He goes on to say, they are not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. So I don't know how people can be in the church today and get offended by a brother and sister and walk around for days, months, and years carrying an awe in their heart, not speaking to other people that they're offended by, seeing them going the other way. No, no, no. A true Christian will not practice that kind of hypocrisy and unrighteousness. They will love one another and practice love. Jesus says, you will know them if they are my disciples by their love one toward another. So that's the acid test for the mm. believer today. I don't care how well you can sing and preach, and, but if you're not loving everybody, particularly those who are of the household of faith, Particularly if you're not loving Christians and looking beyond their faults and, and meeting their needs and, and love covering a multitude of sins. If you're not operating and walking in the true love of God, practicing mm. that, you are not a born-again believer. If you're harboring anger and bitterness and resentment in your heart against other Christians for what they've done, then I would say to you, who are listening, you need to examine yourselves. But according to, because a, according to the scriptures, those who are born again, their hearts are right toward God. They love everybody and they practice righteousness. Any questions? Well, there are many people out there that, are, that profess to be born again and, and they, they still walk and they still have, you know, that attitude and... The attitude. Yeah. yeah, you know. Attitude like um yeah, um I, I might yeah, I forgave him but I don't forget. See yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so and yeah. Jesus tells us in Mark eleven twenty four, if we don't forgive in twenty five, if we don't forgive others, God will not forgive us. So they're walking in sin, they're walking in unforgiveness. And that's that Mark twenty five. Mark 25, chapter 11 of St. Mark, around the 25th verse. Yeah, wow. So that's a command to forgive one another. We're commanded to love one another. That's the acid test. And if we're not one, loving one another, it indicates that we're not true disciples of Christ. So we have saw in the scriptures that a person can profess Christianity. Mm-hmm. But if he is continuously, he or she, practicing a lifestyle of sin and rebellion, it proves that they are not born again. They may be trusting in good works. They may be trusting in their own self-righteousness. They may be trusting in a decision that they made at a revival meeting or at a youth group or trusting in a decision that they made at the altar or maybe even trusting in the prayer of a pastor that because he said you're saved and you said the prayer, you're <laughs> trusting in that. But Jesus says you will know them by their fruit. 
So we as believers have to be fruit inspectors because there are a lot of false, deceiving, professing people out there who are smiling and dressed up like Christians, but in their hearts, they have never been born again. And they are trusting in anything outside of Christ alone. Yeah. So it's only Jesus who has the power to save us from our own sin and our own self-destruction. And when we make a decision to trust in the death and burial of the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection alone for the forgiveness of our sins, and when we believe that when we repent and turn from our sins, that the Lord Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin and unrighteousness, and trusting only in him for salvation can we be saved and born again. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. <laughs> for all that he went through. So what happens when we become born again as believers, when we become born again? The first thing that happens once we accept Christ and repent of our sins, that the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. Mm -hmm. That's when we become born again. We're born of the Spirit. We're born from above. And God's Holy Spirit comes to live within us. That's when we become salvation. That is the first work of grace. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the life of a sinner who becomes born again by the Spirit of God. Then the second work of grace is what we call the process of sanctification. Taking off the old deeds and putting on the new deeds. Taking off the old man, putting on the new man. That's the process of sanctification. That's a lifelong process. As long as we live in these bodies and we have this flesh, this human body, we must go continuously each day through the process of sanctification. And how does God sanctify us wholly? By his word, by the hearing of the word, the reading of the word, the studying of the word, prayer, practicing the word. All of this is God's way of sanctifying us. That word sanctified means to set apart exclusively for God. Uh, some churches that may be called holiness or sanctified, and I've been a part of churches like that, they make sanctification and holiness about how you look and what you wear and mm. where you go and where you don't go and set about that heart being changed and purified. And so they put more emphasis on the externals, on the way you style your hair, no makeup, no pants, instead of putting the emphasis on the heart. A heart change. 
once the Holy Spirit lives in our hearts, he gives us the assurance of peace and joy of knowing that we belong to God and we are his children. So that simply means when a person becomes born again, we don't have to tell them that they are saved. We don't have to tell them, oh, you got it. We don't have to say that. When God transforms and change, changes a person's heart, the Holy Spirit in them bears witness to them that they are a child of God. Can I give you an example of what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. There was a young man that came to church. He heard the gospel preached. He accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. He turned away from all known sin. He meant business with God. And his life was changed. He became a new creature. Any man in Christ is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. This young man, after service, went back to his apartment. There awaiting him was his girlfriend, who wasn't born again. He comes home, same physical body, tattoos on him, same physical body, but the inside had changed. He was a different man. He walked into the apartment. He said to his girlfriend, I went to church, and I accepted Christ. I prayed with the preacher, and I feel different. I can't explain it. She looked at him funny. And then he said to her, I don't know why, but I just feel like we shouldn't have any more sex out of marriage. That's it for me. And his girlfriend looked at him, and the first thing she thought as a woman, oh, he's got somebody else. He done went to the church, and he done found another woman. Because I know he cannot live without sex, because he's a man. Now, I don't know, Dorothy, if most women think that way. I'm not a woman. I'm just surmising. But she was curious about what was different about him. She couldn't put her finger on it. So the following Sunday, the young man came back to church, made an appointment with the pastor. After church, the pastor gave him a few minutes in his office, and he was sitting down, talking to the pastor in his office, And he says, you know, Pastor, after last Sunday and you prayed the prayer and I confessed a few words, I didn't really understand what was happening, but when it was over, I felt different. I can't explain it, but I went home and I told my girlfriend that we shouldn't be having sex anymore. And Pastor, I want to know, what do you think? Did I do the right thing? Because she wasn't happy about that. And I really care for her, you know? But I just kind of felt like I shouldn't be doing that anymore. And so the pastor looked at him and says, well, what do you think? What do you think you should do? And so he says, you know, pastor, I don't have, I don't know the Bible that well. I don't know, but it's just something in me. I just don't feel comfortable doing that anymore. 
So I don't think I'm going to continue in that lifestyle. And the pastor said to the young man, son, obey God. Now, he never came to a Bible study. He never heard a sermon on thou shalt not commit fornication. He came in off the street and heard the gospel message. But because he was sincere in his heart, and he believed those words by faith that the pastor was preaching about salvation in Jesus, loving him and dying on the cross. He was changed. He didn't have to take a step, a 12-step program to deal with addictions to get free from it. Hello? He didn't have to do some penance or any of that nonsense. But he knew that he knew that he knew on the inside he was not the same person he was before that prayer. Right. So what am I saying? That if a person is truly born again, they have that inner witness. They know that they know that they have been changed, that something is different. And the song says, the things that I used to do, I don't want to do them anymore. The places that I used to go, I don't want to go anymore. The people that I used to associate with, I don't want to associate with them anymore because I've been changed. I've been born from above. Any questions? Um, yeah. He really felt that change within. Amen. And, uh, right away, it, it just manifested itself where he didn't even have to go to the Bible to... to you know, check anything. Just, Isn't that amazing? He was, was receptive. <laughs> because yeah. the Holy Spirit was living in him. And mm. that is the word of God, the truth. And so the Holy Spirit's job is to convict us of our sins. That's why it's no way in the world a person can be a believer and not feel guilty mm -hmm. and feel bad about sinning against God. No way. And if they can sin and not feel convicted, then it's a, it's a very good indicator that they mm -hmm. have never been born again. Mm -hmm. So let's just um, cover some of the evidences that the Bible speaks of, the evidences of salvation. Number one, evidence number one, that mm -hmm. you will trust and Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And that's based on St. John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. St. John 14, 6. And also another scripture reference can be found in Romans chapter 3, verses 27 through 28, where it talks about we are justified by faith, without the deeds or the works of the law. So the second evidence of being a true believer is number two, a growing hatred towards sin. A growing hatred towards sin. A true believer is sensitive towards sin, a sin in his or her life. 
A true believer has a love for the things of God. A true believer has a desire to live a life pleasing to God. Even though a true believer is sensitive towards sin and hates sin, the Bible does not ignore the truth of the existence of the human nature, the sinful nature, the bodies in which we live in, the flesh. Even though we are saved, we still have Adam's nature, the old Adamic nature, the fallen nature. The old man, the Bible calls it. So even though we are born again, we're still human beings. We are human, but we're also holy. We're human beings, but we're also holy, set apart unto God. So that means that even though we are Christians, we are not perfect. Mm -hmm. Now, there are some religions and some cults that believe that once you become born again, that the old man is eradicated out of our lives, like a surgeon will cut a cancer out of somebody's body. But the Bible teaches us that even though we are believers, we still have the old nature, the old sinful nature. And that's why we have to make sure that we deny the old man that he dies daily. Mm. Because if we feed him, he's going to become stronger. If we feed the new man in Christ, the inner man of the heart, the new mm -hmm. man, if we feed the new man, he'll become stronger. So the reason why we have a lot of Christians who have been born again is because they're too busy feeding the old nature, the old man. Mm -hmm. With mm -hmm. the works of the flesh and the deeds of the flesh. Instead of denying the old man. And feeding mm -hmm. the new man the living word of God. So there was a dog owner and he had a couple of dogs and he was on his way. And it's illegal to fight dogs. That's illegal. He didn't know any better at the time. But somebody asked him, he says, sir, I see you got two pit bulls. Which one are going to win in the fight? Which one are you betting on? And the owner said to the man, the one that I feed, he's going to win the fight. So if Christians want to win the fight against the flesh, the world, and the devil, they have to stop feeding that by entertaining the works and the things of the world. Does that make sense? Stop feeding it. If you Stop sit up feeding. and watch soap operas all day long and filthy movies all day long and listen to worldly music all week long, then you're not going to be a strong Christian and never open up the Bible, never come to Bible study, never cut, ne never read the Bible, never pray. <laughs> How are you going to be a victorious Christian? It won't grow. There'll yeah. be no growth. There's no growth. You're always going to be struggling and being defeated. 
And that is Amen. not God's perfect will for his, for his children. So the <laughs> old nature still exists in us. And that's why Paul says, laying aside every weight in the Senate and putting off the old man and all his deeds and all the corruption, putting on the new man every day, walking in truth, doing those things that are pleasing to God and growing in your, your Christian faith. So another evidence of true salvation or a true believer is a believer has a godly fear of reverence of not dishonoring or offending God, the Holy Spirit. And we find that in Ephesians 4.30 where Paul says, he lists a group of sins, a whole list of them. And he says, when we commit these sins, we grieve the Holy Spirit in our lives. So when a believer chooses to commit sin, the Holy Spirit in us becomes saddened, become grieved. Because the Holy Spirit is a third person of the Trinity. He is a person and not an it. And he has feelings. Mm. And so God cries. God laughs. We can break God's heart. We can offend God. God grieves. God expresses emotions. The Holy Spirit is a person. And if we're in a relationship with another human being and we do something offensive and that person cares for us and loves us, that person is going to be affected by what we say and what we do. And so when a Christian sins, in other words, they know it's wrong and they do it anyway. They know cursing is wrong, but they curse anyway and say, God, forgive me, excuse me. Or they know this mm -hmm. is wrong and that's wrong. What they're doing is that they're breaking the heart of the Holy Spirit. And he becomes saddened and he grieves. He doesn't leave us when we sin. Thank God for that. Because yeah. if the Holy Spirit left us, David said, how would I ever find my way back to God? He says, Holy Spirit, please don't leave me. Don't forsake me. How can I find my way back to God? Psalm 51. So the Holy Spirit can be offended by our words, our thoughts, or our deeds. So any negative sinning affects and breaks the heart of the Holy Spirit, and also yes. it breaks the heart of the believer. Any questions? Well, no, just uh, a statement, you know, thank God for salvation. <laughs> yes, Lord. That's why we're never separated. Never yeah. separated from his love. It's our sins, but he also, yes. So let's talk about the marks of a believer. The marks, M-E-R-K-S, the marks of a believer. What are the marks of a believer? Number one. The hand of God is on the life of the believer. When we talk about God's hand, the hand represents God's power. 
and God's presence in and on the life of that believer. Mm. Also, that God is working in the believer to conform that believer into the image of Christ. And that is the goal for every believer is to be conformed to the image of Christ or become like Jesus. To become like Jesus. That's according to Romans 8.29. Another hmm. mark of a believer is that the sins that you once love, you now hate. Anybody who is in love with sin, mm. that's not good. We, God hates sin. We should hate sin. We should love the things that God loves, and we should hate the things that God <clears throat> hates. And it is sin that caused God to have his son Jesus to be crucified on a cross. It was sin, our sins, and the sins of the whole world that nailed him to the cross. Mm -hmm. So we should hate any sin. Religious people stop doing the sins they love. People who are converted stop doing the sins they hate. Let me repeat that again. Religious people stop doing the sins they love. Converted people stop doing the sins they hate. So a person can convert to Islam and they stop doing the things that they love. But a true believer stops doing the sins that they hate. We see that in Psalm 97 verse 10. And it says these words, Hate evil, you who love the Lord, who preserves the soul of his godly ones, his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. That's Psalm 97, verse 10. Another evidence of a true believer is that he or she will seek to be obedient to God's word. New believers have a new relationship with the Word of God, and when a believer gets saved, he will desire for the Word of God, have a desire for the Word of God, and want to spend time with God in His Word. A true believer will desire to obey the Word of God because he is born again mm -hmm. and is saved by grace through faith and Christ alone. We see in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that they may grow thereby. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. So the Apostle Peter is teaching us that when a person becomes born again, they are a baby in Christ, a babe in Christ. And that they naturally just want to feed on the sincere, 
pure milk of the word. Mm -hmm. And he uses that metaphor to help us to understand from a practical sense that when a mother gives birth to a baby, she doesn't have to teach the baby how to suckle. Mothers, you know this better than me. All you have to do is lay the baby on the mother's breast and that baby automatically would have a desire to feed and to suckle the milk from the mother's breast. Now, if the mother puts the baby on her breast and the baby doesn't suckle or have a desire to suckle, and uh, Dorothy, you help us with this. If the baby doesn't suckle, what does that indicate? What did that tell the mother? There's no bonding there. She's got to use the bottle. No bonding. Okay, but but something has to happen. Well, she'd have to lead the baby. She'd have to, you know, direct the baby to where the the milk is. If the baby doesn't want to feed, there's something wrong Mm -hmm. with the baby. There's something wrong, right. If the baby doesn't want to feed, there's something wrong with the baby. Okay, yeah, yeah. In that sense. That's right. So in the the old days, we're talking about before they had bottles, there was only breastfeeding, you know. But the point is, is that a healthy baby is going to naturally want to feed. Would you agree with that? Yes. All righty. Thank you, Mom. (laughs) That's coming from a mother. All righty. So this is what Peter is talking about. And second Peter. First Peter chapter two, two, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that they may grow thereby. And that's how baby Christians grow up spiritually and become more like Christ when they have a diet of the sincere milk of the word, feeding on the word, studying the word, memorizing the word, meditating on the word, hearing the word, they begin to grow up spiritually. And today we have so many baby Christians who are in the church fussing and fighting, division, envy, strife, unforgiveness. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, let's go over that. Our time is almost running out. Maybe we'll stop at this scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul writing to the church of Corinth. And this was a baby church. They had just got converted, and um, Paul is writing to them because they're still practicing a lot of the sins that they were practicing before they were Christians. They were fornicating in the church. They were taking one another to court. They were suing each other. Uh, they had factions and partyism in the church. They were, this is my preacher. No, Paul is my preacher. Apollo is my preacher. No, I'm of Christ. All of that division was in the church. And Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and these are his words. And I, brethren, would not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. That word carnal means fleshly, control by your five senses, control by the dictates of the flesh, our lower nature. That's carnality. And carnality in the life of a believer needs to be removed. 
That's a sign of spiritual immaturity, a life full of carnality, bad habits. Even as unto babes in Christ. So Paul calls them baby Christians because they are behaving carnally. And he says in verse 3, for you are yet <coughs> carnal, present tense, for whereas there is among you envy, strife, divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men are common, mere sinning men. So now, this is very interesting, because Paul is telling us that a carnal baby Christian is just like a person who is not even saved. They talk the same, they walk the same, they act the same. One is a Christian, but it's a carnal baby Christian who is acting and living like an unsaved person, but they're born again, but they're carnal. They're immature. They're baby Christians. They need to grow up. Paul said, when I became a man, I put away childish things. Grow mm -hmm. up spiritually. Baby Christians, the church are full of them. They're in the choir. They get mad if they can't sing their song. They're angry at the preacher. They're angry at one another. Cause mm -hmm. confusion, gossip, and backbiting. Churches are full of carnal. They don't grow up. They don't want to come to Bible study. They don't want to come to prayer meeting. You know, they want to serve God on their own terms. They come mm -hmm. when they feel like it. They pray mm -hmm. when they feel like it or they don't feel like it. And they have to grow up spiritually. Any questions? No. No. Well, no. So we don't want to be stuck in the stage of a baby Christian. We want to grow up and become a young adult and a mature Christian. We want to develop. We want to grow. We want to grow up. All righty. My last scripture. Please forgive me. Hopefully I keep the word. I want to go over to um, Hebrews chapter 5. This is an example of what I've been talking about a little bit earlier. Hebrews, okay, let's see here. Hmm, thank you, Lord. <coughs> yeah, that's it. Alrighty. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. Let me give you a little backdrop, a little backdrop of what the Hebrew author is speaking of here. Uh, I'll begin reading. I'll begin reading in chapter 5 of Hebrews, verse 11. Amen. Mm -hmm. Just say amen if you're there. Amen. amen. Of whom we have many things to say. This is the author of the book of Hebrews. He says, I have a lot of things I need to say to you believers. Things that are hard and difficult to utter seeing that you are dull of hearing. How do you become dull of hearing? You hear the preacher preach it over and over again, 
and you don't practice it. Right. Mm-hmm. So you heard the, the, the whoever's teaching the truth, and they say, don't do this, this, and that. And they say it and repeat it, but you keep do this, this, you keep doing it. And then what happens is that when he says this again, now you become dull of hearing. You hear it, but you don't hear it. You tune them out. You shut them out. Oh, I know that. Oh, yeah, you know it, but are you practicing it? See? So we had a, so, so the, the author here is saying there were believers who were being taught, and they kept hearing the truth, but they weren't practicing what they were hearing. And they became dull of hearing. Oh, I heard that before. Oh, I'm not going to church. Oh, I heard that sermon before. But are you practicing it? All right, let's see the next verse. For when the time, for when the time, for when, for the time you ought to be teachers. He's saying you've been taught and been taught and been taught. Now it's time for you to be able to teach others what you have been taught. Let me read on. Ye have need that one teach you again. So here is a group of believers who have been taught and taught. They have become dull of hearing. They're not practicing what they've been taught. And now the author is saying, we have to teach you all over again. In other words, you're in kindergarten and you have not learned your lessons well. And so we can't graduate to first and second grade we have to go back and teach you again the elementary information that you never really learned in kindergarten. We have to keep you back because you didn't learn to read and you can't advance with the other students. Ron, you're a retired school teacher. You know this better than I do. Sometimes you got to hold a student back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. From going along forward, graduating or to the next level with the other students in the class. Because they attended all the classes, but they didn't get it. They didn't get it. <laughs> See, they didn't get it. So he says, now we gotta teach you the first principles of the oracles of God. In other words, the first principles are the oracles of the Bible. And that's called Bible doctrine. And what are the first principles of the oracles of God? It's laying again the foundation of repentance. It's, it's the teaching of dead works and saved toward God by grace. It's the doctrines of faith and baptism and, and, and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. That's in Hebrews chapter 6 verses 1 through 3. So what, what the writer's saying is that you didn't get it the first time. So now we have to take time to do it all over again. And that's sad because by now, you should be able to teach somebody else what you've been taught. But because you were dull of hearing and you didn't get it the first time, now you're slowing up the progress of the whole Christian church. Because now the pastor has to take time in the nursery, changing the diapers of the baby Christians, breaking up fights, 
and arguments and all of that instead of going out into the community and reaching the lost and doing evangelism outside of the church. But most pastors are so busy trying to get people to come together inside the church that they can hardly go to the prisons and the hospitals and the highways and the byways to reach the sinners because the church is full of a bunch of baby Christians who can't get along with each other and Mm -hmm. living in selfishness. And that's not the way it should be, beloved. God wants better for his church and for his people. Any questions before we let you go today? Anything that you want to ask? Or maybe there's something that might have really impacted you in a way that you want to share it with the listening audience. No, we're good. I'm good. Um, no, it, no, I don't have any questions. It's just that, um, you know, it's so important to be able to set yourself apart and, and continue to do what you're called to do, and that's um, obeying God's word. Amen. You know, and just stay in his word and that's where the development comes from. And, you know, it helps her in so many different ways. Study the- and to be a good example to others. Because right. people are always watching our lives, you know, and especially our family members. <laughs> you know, they mm-hmm. know who we really are. <laughs> you know, so we want to make sure that... Uh, we're practicing, you know, righteousness and doing what God requires of us and uh, have a proper testimony right. before the Lord and others. And that doesn't mean that we're perfect and we don't make mistakes or we don't fall short, but we just don't persist in that. You see, we come to ourselves, we come to our senses, we're convicted. Mm-hmm. And we ask God to forgive us. And First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we're back in right fellowship with the Lord and we go forward. God doesn't remember our sins and we shouldn't either, but learn from them and go on and do better. Yeah. Amen. Well, beloved, we thank you for the time that we've spent together. We hope that it's fruitful and we look forward, Lord willing, to another Bible study as we continue talking about the evidences of a true believer in Christ. Amen. Dorothy, would you like to close us in prayer? Okay. Thank you, God, for giving us another chance of life today, Lord. You're able to... um, Allow us to see another day, see the sunshine, Lord, and to come before you, God, with another study. Truly grateful, Mm -hmm. Lord. We ask that you help us to apply what we've learned to our lives and to be a demonstration of all that there is to other people so that they may see how we live our lives and, you know, to be able to show them God, God is the only way. And Lord, we thank you for all that you're providing. Thank you for Brother George and um, 
bless his family, Lord, and we ask that you continue to bless each and every one who needs that special healing touch from him. We thank you, God, for all that you do. We're truly grateful for your love. And it's in your son's name, Jesus, that we say amen. Amen. May the grace of God be with you. Amen. Until we meet again, go with God, and God will go with you. God bless. I got uh, got one question about the cash app. 